They followed Professor McGonagall across the flagstone floor. Harry could hear the drone of hundreds of voices from a doorway to the right. The rest of the school must already be here. But Professor McGonagall showed the first years into a small, empty chamber off the hall. The sorting is a very important ceremony because, while you're here, your house will be something like your family within Hogwarts. The four Hogwarts houses are called Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw and Slytherin. I hope each of you will be a credit to whichever house becomes yours. They walked out of the chamber, back across the hall, and through a pair of double doors into the Great Hall. Harry had never imagined such a strange and splendid place. It was lit by thousands and thousands of candles, which were floating in mid-air over four long tables where the rest of the students were sitting. These tables were laid with glittering golden plates and goblets. At the top of the hall was another long table where the teachers were sitting. Mainly to avoid all the staring eyes, Harry looked upwards and saw a velvety black ceiling dotted with stars. Harry quickly looked down again as Professor McGonagall silently placed a four-legged stool in front of the first years. On top of the stool, she put a pointed wizard's hat. A rip near the brim opened wide like a mouth, and the hat began to sing. Hello everyone, and welcome to Wanderlust, a podcast where Potter tour guides share their enthusiasm on magical locations. In a time BC, before coronavirus, we took fans to places all Potter. Now AD, after disease, we're spreading some Potter facts instead of germs. This week, we're in the Great Hall, the Hogwarts location where students fought duels, battled Death Eaters, and even had their school dance. As always, we have gathered some knowledge and we'll be telling you things we thought you ought to know. Of course. <laughs> as ever, our magnificent team consists of audio editor Nick Ollivander, who makes us all sound far better than we actually are. And this is very exciting. This week, we have a very special participant for the first time ever to share her unrivaled knowledge, the now famous producer, Steph, is here. What? And the rest of us are me, Greta Granger, a Hufflepuff. And today I'm chatting about how accurate the sorting hat really is. And joining me are... Hello, I am Nicholas Longbottom, a Ravenclaw, and I will be adding some uh, sing-song musical joy to the proceedings. Hello, I'm Will Hagrid, uh, so named because, though you can't see me, I look a lot like Wilhelmina Grubbly Plank. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I shall be talking about enchanted ceilings and hourglasses. And I'm Alex Scamander, uh, a Hufflepuff, and I'm going to be talking about where they film the Great Hall, and I'm going to be testing uh, my co-host's knowledge on the Hogwarts staff. Oh, you guys didn't know that. No. (laughs) (laughs) So before we enter the Great Hall, there is a sort of chamber of reception slash staircase where in the movie it's where the kids meet McGonagall. It's where Harry first meets Draco in the film. And all sorts happens in the film. It's quite a lot of quite important stuff. Um, Now, this was filmed in a real location, much like... Uh, with a lot of the locations in the first two movies, they chose a real location. Uh, this one was in Christchurch, Oxford. Um, it's a staircase that leads up to a dining hall. Uh, it appears in the first two movies and then completely disappears. Um, the, <laughs> like magic. The, 
They're like mm-hmm. magic, yes. Oh. Uh, the stairs of requirement. <laughs> completely, yeah. <laughs> but going into the Great Hall, now, the Great Hall was one of the biggest sets that they had built for the films. And, of course, like with a lot of these locations, you can still see it in the Harry Potter studios. This set is the only set that remains exactly where it always was, where they filmed it. It was the only one they didn't move. I heard that this had something slightly to do with the stone tiling. Uh, I believe mm. it's Yorkstone. That it was just too much oh. of a hassle to move it all. <laughs> so, because they took a bit of a gamble with that, wouldn't they? Because I think Stuart Craig said they were thinking of doing it out of like fiberglass, and then yeah, they thought, yeah. mm, actually, Yorkstone would be better long term. So that's yeah, why completely. Yeah, and I'm thankfully, it did pay off, didn't it? Now, one of the iconic sites within the Great Hall, of course, uh, are the floating candles. Uh, mm-hmm. Did any of you know they tried to do this uh, with practical candles initially? Do you know yes. this? <laughs> and you can How only imagine. Died. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can only imagine why they stopped, <laughs> decided not to do it with practical candles. Yeah. Um, was that dripping on my head? Why does it hurt? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the same logic as using real owls as well, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Just a no, nightmare waiting to happen. So the way they did it, as you might be able to guess, they did use string to attach it. It would have been a specific material they used, a material that they thought would have been best, but it still just wasn't good enough because it melted and Mm. the candles would just drop off. So yeah, of course, they decided to go with CGI in the end. I mean, it still looks great, I think. Oh, it worked. Mm. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? You'd think someone would see that coming. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The person doing the risk assessment must have been there, like, oh, really? Floating yeah. candles? Yeah. Oh, just the one, right? <laughs> yeah. No, 370, apparently. Yeah. And something I forget about a lot is the hourglasses are in the book, not in the Great Hall. No, the, they're in the entrance hall. Yeah. It's one of these many times where the films have slightly overwritten my book knowledge, and I often forget this. And talking of differences from the book and the movie, one quite interesting change is Bellatrix destroying the Great Hall in Half-Blood Prince. I, I do think this is quite an odd addition, because it's supposed to be quite a scary thing that in Deathly Hallows, Hogwarts gets destroyed. So, so it's yeah. quite an interesting addition. Mm. Also... I'm pretty sure in the book, they're running away, aren't they? They're trying to escape as quickly as they can. Well, it's not a very subtle exit either if they're trying to sneak away and she's smashing no! everything inside. exactly. And also, Voldemort, of course, still wants to use the school, so he must have been a little bit annoyed. And as he- we've established earlier, he's a, he's a clean man. He likes everything yes. to be in order. Yeah. Clean that up. <laughs> it does reappear briefly in the second Fantastic Beasts, because of course they go to Hogwarts, and the Great Hob does briefly appear. But I didn't know this. It's completely digital. They didn't film in the actual set because, of course, now it's the studio tour. And I I suppose they didn't want to close it off for a day. (laughs) I'd lose that on some money. So, you know, they literally created it digitally. And I guess they might have changed a few things because it doesn't look quite the same anymore. They did. Um, The floor, the the beautiful, famous Yorkstone floor, uh, was far too clean in their original CGI version. And somebody Ah. noticed and they had to dirty it. Oh, oh, funny. <laughs> it was kind of the same on this note with the tables as well. When they first built the set, I remember reading that they got the tables all specially made, but they looked, mm. like you said, well, like too squeaky clean. And it's supposed to look mm. like hundreds of years of students have gone yeah. to the school. So apparently yeah. they actually encouraged the kids to carve their names and just mess them up a bit. That's Which great. would have been oh, incredible. Should have, should have just let Bellatrix do a thing. Yeah. I bet the tables are like covered in chewing gum and horrible oh. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Before we move on, I want to talk about one of my absolute favourite moments in the whole Harry Potter series that happens in the Great Hall. So you know, you know the bit at the end, uh, where they're all celebrating because Gryffindor have won the House Cup because Dumbledore has basically just uh, punked the Slytherins. You mean entirely <laughs> yeah. fairly awarded punked. House points, Alex? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I, be, I mean, it's great when you first read it, and I know Steph has a lot of beef with this, uh, and and you know, everyone's cheering and everyone's shaking Harry's hand. There is one shot. There is. It's genuinely in the movie where Harry is shaking everyone's hand, and this hand comes in from the right side of the frame. It comes into shot. You don't see whose hand it belongs to. It's it's right next to Dan, but Dan's back is to the hand. He doesn't see it. So this hand kind of comes in very confidently to shake Harry's hand, and it, and clearly this person's noticed. Dan is not going to shake it, and it quickly. Uh, draws away and it's oh, it just really tickles so me every time I see it because I can only imagine the sadness that that kid would have felt oh. <laughs> when they filmed that shot do you think they're mentioned in the credits hand kid <laughs> yeah I hope so I really hope so also you would imagine it's one of those shots that would not have made it into the final film but it's there and I recommend those of you to look out for it well speaking about tables, uh, also in the Great Hall, of course we have the top table with all the teachers sat on, including Snape. And guys, you know how J.K. Rowling often says that, oh no, like names just come to me, I don't have any inspiration. Did we hear <laughs> recently that J.K.'s discovered where she got the inspiration for Severus Snape from? Yeah. the names. Yes, well, I'm going to tell you anyway. So... <laughs> no need, Greta. Stop right there. <laughs> Stories are better when you hear them for a second time. So yeah, she uh, actually tweeted the other week that, yeah, often she says, oh, no, like, they just come to me. But recently she be went back to Clapham, where she used to live whilst writing the Harry Potter books, and she noticed a road she used to walk down all the time was called Severus Road. So she's actually acknowledged this must be uh, what subconsciously inspired her to write for mm, the character yeah. Severus Snape. Uh, there you go. Subconscious. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know why it's called Severus Road. Frustrating, I couldn't really find that out. Probably be after the Roman Emperor, right? Yeah, right. So Septimus Severus, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, he bloody yeah. loved Croydon. No, <laughs> Which one is it? Clapham, well, Croydon Alex. as well. Clapham, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's Septimus Severus famously hated Croydon. <laughs> <laughs> well, also then moving on to Christchurch, which you mentioned, Alex, just before. Mm, yeah. uh, this is really exciting because obviously this is a location that some of us, this is before your time, Alex, I'm sorry, but some of us yeah. have actually been to, which is really exciting. <laughs> Yay. 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 That was going to cry in the corner. It was a lovely while. day. Well, there was yeah. only one Hufflepuff and people liked it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's a low blow. <laughs> but um, we walked around the hallways of the college and we went to the banqueting hall, which is the very place that actually they based the great hall on for Hogwarts. Mm. And this isn't speculation. Right. This is actual fact. This is acknowledged by Stuart Craig, who is the production designer. And it's even mentioned in the book Harry Potter Magical Places, if anyone has that. Now, there's actual questions as to why they didn't actually film on location instead of spending all the money building the set. <laughs> I can't I can't seem to find the exact reason. There's a, there's a few possibilities. One is that they have three long tables in there and not four. So to squeeze a fourth one in for the extra house is mm. kind of is a bit, bit of a squeeze. So maybe that's mm. why. Or maybe they were just nervous about hanging 370 real candles on wires when their original plan was to put candles. Uh, especially yeah. in a room surrounded by invaluable yeah. artwork. So, yeah, maybe mm. that's why. Yeah, um, they'd have had to have shifted everything for camera angles. And... Yeah, completely. Right, it's quite yeah. a lot smaller as well, of course. Uh, it is, it yeah. yeah. It is. It's quite a lot narrower. But you can definitely tell they based it off that layout. There's even a top table looking over it. They even have fireplaces in the exact place where they've put them in the Great Hall. So it's definitely... Mm. Oh, cool. But why yeah. did they choose it? Well, Hogwarts and Christchurch Todd are both very old. I think Christchurch was founded in 1546. So not quite 990 AD, but still <laughs> real old. And yeah, according yeah, yeah. to Christchurch College, it was the renaissance splendour of the hall that attracted the makers have Harry Potter films, which is why they based it on that set. Oh. There you go. There they you film go, a, a fair few things in Oxford, don't they? So I suppose it also makes sense geographically for all the other 
stuff they film in the area. Like other bits of Hogwarts, you mean? They did, yeah. But as you mentioned, Alex, that, of course, that's the very staircase as well that they use. The very staircase that the students use to get up to the banqueting hall. Oh, so it's literally the one outside of it? It is. It's the one How they use. For, so, yeah, you can go to Christchurch and see those majestic steps for yourself, guys. Is it? Case. Is it also the bit that end of the first movie when everything's sort of resolved and just before they have their final dinner where Harry and Ron are at the bottom and Hermione's at the top and she goes, never better. Is that Oh, that yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you. Really it was at a different angle, so it suddenly looked very different, but it suddenly connected it in my head that it must have been the same. But what about the Great Hall interior? What, what about that, guys? Oh, got, well, I'm glad you asked, because I have more to say. Oh. Um, so very quickly, so there is obviously an extra room that goes off from the Great Hall, which kind of comes up in Goblet of Fire, because after the names are drawn from the Goblet of Fire. The champions are sent to what is described in the book as just a small room. Whereas in the movie, they make it either the or a trophy room. But the set that they used, did you know, it got recycled twice. Can anyone guess which rooms, the two rooms that got recycled into? Uh, The the bathroom? No, it's good. Wait, in Chamber of Secrets? Yeah, they use it again. Oh, sorry, sorry. It, it was first the trophy room in Goblet of Fire, so it got recycled after that. Sorry, if that wasn't um, okay. Hmm. The room of requirement? Ding, ding, ding. Yes! <laughs> ding, dong. <laughs> <laughs> that, and that's a very clever reference to the guy who voices the sorting hats, uh, Leslie. Oh, yeah. Leslie Phillips. Was, Phillips. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was that like catchphrase. That's very ding, clever. Ding, dong. Um, so yeah, the room of requirements is correct. And the other one is a bit harder, I must say. Does anyone know? I'll tell you guys. It's Slughorn's office. Oh, oh nice. Steph just Steph literally just got it. Steph got so very yeah, five pass points for Slytherin. Oh, very cool. Is there anything she doesn't know? Like every well. single time she knows the answer. <laughs> Her knowledge is very impressive. Yeah. Over well, to Alex, the s- one, one, one quick thing. Yeah. It, it begins as one room and becomes two. You say? Yes. Almost as if it's an entropy room. <laughs> I feel I need to be smarter to get that joke. It's it's not that it's entropy. The, the oh, entropy! Oh, it, yeah. doesn't entropy mean like An everything? Entropy it, room. Doesn't it get destroyed? Like, doesn't entropy mean it gets like destroyed? It like mm, it's, yeah, 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 like dispersing into. Oh, okay, into. Two. Okay, yes, I'm with you. Yes, um, I can. Nick, the editor, insert a laugh uh, <laughs> for me, please. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like I was clever the whole time. Yeah. Oh, and I should say, actually, it, it, I can't really mention this trophy room in Goblet of Fire without referencing Michael Gambon's performance. And I should say, oh. Michael Gambon, I think, is a fantastic actor. I think he's brilliant. But this is often the bit that people use as evidence that he's not a good Dumbledore. He makes a choice, doesn't he? He makes a choice. Oh, and let's be yeah. honest, it's not only his choice. Michael Gambon has not read the books. He's going by the script. If the, there are other people to tell Michael to calm down. Um, but, of course, in the book, there's a very famous bit where he said, where Dumbledore says, Harry... Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? He said calmly. Uh, but of course, Michael Gambon decides to go in like a raging alcoholic. Uh, okay. <laughs> How did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Um, I think we use that a lot. It's a bold choice for Dumbledore, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but people tend to forget his later performances, which were a lot more nuanced and subtle. So I think people don't give Michael Gambon enough credit as Dumbledore. But um, going back, back into the hall itself, and actually talking of uh, Dumbledore and the teachers, you know that owl lectern that... Mm. Yes. Dumbledore talks at that was introduced weirdly with the, the third movie so with Michael Gambon as Dumbledore so it's kind of really closely connected to that Dumbledore so I I read this thing that sort of initially I thought that's really cool where someone had mentioned that uh, Michael Gambon's Dumbledore never sits in that big chair the high chair that Richard Harris's Dumbledore often sat at and people speculated whether this was sort of a mark of respect to Richard Harris 
Oh, he does. He does sit in it. Mm. I realise this afterwards. He sits in it when he's talking about Cedric Diggory in the yeah, fourth one. Yeah, that's exactly when I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So there is a brief, brief moment. But he does oh, that yeah. end up standing up quite quickly after, doesn't he? Yeah. But it is, it is noteworthy that he doesn't sit in it that much, like when he's making mm. speeches particularly. So there might be some truth in the fact that he was he was being respectful because Michael Gambon does do a bit of an Irish accent mm. as a mark of respect for Richard Harris, who in real life was Irish. Mm. Uh, which I think is yeah. rather sweet. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Oh, I approve yeah. that more now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. But, Will. The ceiling. It's very exciting. Harry's startled by it the first time he sees it because it seems not to be there. It looks like it's just the night sky. And Hermione points out, because she's read a history of Hogwarts, that it's not a transparent ceiling. It's actually a, an enchanted painted ceiling that looks identical to the sky outside, which has always Ooh. struck me as being extremely pleasing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've yeah. always wondered about that, but it also begs, like, it always makes me wonder, like, why would they ever have it raining, man? As you say, Alex, sometimes it does rain, and when yeah. I say sometimes, I mean notably once. It does a few, <laughs> <laughs> it does a few other special effects as well. Uh, uh, it, it snows for the Christmas feasts, uh, but of course, the snow isn't um, uh, cold and wet like real snow. It's dry and warm, like. Mm. You might imagine snow if you've never experienced it in real life, <laughs> which did once happen to me on a tour. Listeners who've just joined, we all work for a company called The Tour for Muggles. Uh, it's, it's lovely. We, we, we do walking tours, but we do them in all weathers. And uh, one day there was a, a, a great uh, blizzard that swept over London, and I had three people booked on this tour, and I was standing covered in snow going, no one's going to turn up. And everyone did. But it was fun <laughs> because two of them were from Mauritius and had never seen snow. Oh, wow. Oh, they must have really been, like, magical. dumbfounded. Yeah, yeah. They, they were dancing round. It was wonderful. Yeah. But Aww. London looks so magical in the snow. Like, and I think, yeah. you know, the locations really just look even more spectacular with a little sheen of snow. Yeah. Mm. So the other special effect that the ceiling does arguably isn't an intentional one. And it's not in the <laughs> books. Do you remember, in specifically the film... When uh, Bartimus Crouch Jr., uh, disguised as Mad-Eye Moody, enters the Great Hall for the first time. Oh, thunder. Yeah. Thunderclap. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the thunderclap is in the book. You hear it from outside the castle, and you see it reflected in the ceiling. Um, right. The film goes a step further, and it actually starts raining. And then Barty Crouch Jr. does a thing that he definitely doesn't do in the book. Everyone in the Great Hall screams with the rain and the thunder. <laughs> Buddy Crouch Jr. then takes out Mad-Eye Moody's wand, uh, casts presumably an extremely powerful spell, and stops the rain with yeah. a sort of exploding effect. He then strides up to the uh, the central desk exactly as he does in the book, and in the book he just mutters something to Dumbledore. They have an unheard exchange. In the movie, Dumbledore says something like, Ah, oh, my old friend, hello. And Mad-Eye Moody slash Buddy Crouch Jr. says, Ah, stupid ceiling! Um, (laughs) sometimes you've got to listen to your ceiling guys sometimes (laughs) a couple of possibilities for that it could be pathetic fallacy the films are known to do this with the ceiling oh uh yes our producer steph has uh pointed out i should explain what pathetic fallacy is um so pathetic (laughs) fallacy is a poetic device whereby the landscape mirrors the emotions or experiences of the characters so was very, very, very well put. Thank yeah, you. very successful. You should be a dictionary. <laughs> I am a dictionary. You fools! I've been a dictionary all along. Oh no! <laughs> Ask me the comes right off. off. <laughs> Good one, mate. Is it like Thank the moors in Withering Heights? Is that 
That's yes, good. exactly that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 the most yeah complete. Or the 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 cold around Scrooge, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, exactly. That's yeah. Uh, that's that's a, a mighty example. So the directors do that. J.K. Rowling does a little bit, but it's more coincidental. Uh, the thunderclap happening when uh, Crouch comes in uh, is certainly an example of pathetic fallacy, but it's explained in book. In the movies, it's more like the ceiling is sentient. We discussed the sentience of Hogwarts in the the last episode, yeah. and um, this seems to be an example of an area of Hogwarts that each director in turn who does this has decided has its own thoughts to an extent. Mm. My favourite example is when uh, that bit just after Cedric's died, where they have the black banners, mm. um, the Hogwarts ceiling looks like a ceiling. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's not doing oh, the effect, that's interesting. presumably, that's because cool. it's sad. That's yeah. so interesting. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. yeah. Um, oh. That's that's the most notable one. The Mad Eye Moody entrance might be that. Oh, there's also the Bellatrix the Strange bit, in fact. When the Death Eaters are entering Hogwarts to to kill Dumbledore, um, mm. the ceiling darkens above possible mm. sentience. I like the idea that every time Moody throughout that year, or Barty Crouch rather, entered the Great Hall, there was like a clap of thunder like every single <laughs> time just to have his dinner. It was like... Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now, the rain. There's another theory. A couple of episodes ago, uh, discussing the Gringotts' defences, uh, Greta, you brought up Thieves' Downfall. Oh, yes. So Thieves' Downfall, for those who haven't heard that episode, it's uh, a magical, watery substance which dispels illusions. Mm. And Mad-Eye Moody, of course, is using the Polyjuice charm. Mm. Could it be that the oh, Great Hall is, yeah, is trying to unpolyjuice him? Oh. Yes. And unmask oh. Mad-Eye Moody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep yeah. using them interchangeably as well. It's really yeah. confusing. Because um, <laughs> Barty's got all these this equipment in his office, doesn't he? But the like the oh, I can't remember the name. The, it's the like a pro- Yes, yeah, and yeah. that keeps going nuts. And he keeps saying to Harry like, "Oh, it's because students are cheating. That's why it's going so crazy." Yeah, mm, yeah. So yeah, everywhere yeah, yeah, he yeah. goes, there's a part of the castle that's trying to be like, "He's a fraud." Mm. People really underestimate Barty Crouch Junior. Like he was, so, he's such a brilliant actor for one thing. Just think about that. Mm. Like mm. does the, the mm. performance he gives? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's 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 an exciting ceiling. It's based a little bit, I would argue, on uh, the historical phenomenon of trompe l'oeil ceilings. Pardon? Are you okay. <laughs> what is that, Will? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I don't know Somebody what that is. Explain. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> it means trick the eye, anyway. Um, ah. <laughs> um, it, uh, it, it, it's a thing that's been going for hundreds of years where you do a false ceiling that looks like something else. It's not just ceilings. You can do uh, still lives, murals. They're all valid and good. Uh, but the ceilings are the best. Trumpet street art is an amazing one. There's a festival in Spain where people paint tunnels that go down um, into the yes. ground that aren't really there. I've seen this. Yeah, where the one guy did like a like a, a just a hole in the floor. It looked yeah, like there yeah, was a yeah, huge yeah. crater. Yeah. It's it's glorious. It's been a life ambition to to go there. I got. Really obsessed with the idea of trompe l'oeil. <laughs> it was young. I, 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 um, Not enough to get to pronounce it correctly, though. <laughs> no, true, true. <laughs> uh, I visited Rome and stayed with some friends there, and they took me around very specifically the church of St. Ignatius, which has the most spectacular fake dome. And it completely fooled me. I went in and they said, look at the dome. And I did. And I went, yeah, it's a dome. And they said, it's not really there. And I went, <laughs> It's wow. incredible. But the other thing that they do, these 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 ceilings, is they replicate skies. Uh, often wow. they're full of cherubs and seraphs and mm. other 
angelic sorts, thrones and dominions. Yeah, uh, they, they visibly have sky. Mm. I like this uh, thing so much. I've, uh, as you guys know, I've, I've recently during lockdown painted my own ceiling like a, yes. a drop yes. sky. Yeah. Very cool. It's very cool. Yeah. Are you going to add cherubs? Cherubs? Cherubs. (laughs) Are you going to add cherubs on it? (laughs) Nah. Nah. This neatly brings me on to um, people who've tried to recreate the Hogwarts ceiling in their own, um, uh, their own, usually bedrooms. Uh, The internet is full of people who've done this. Uh, Surely just knock out the roof so when it rains you get rained on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you could mostly people on the internet uh, just use things called sky rules and add rhinestones and LED lights to them and put floating candles up with usually fishing wire mm. well, there you go. Ah. Wow. Uh, so yes in conclusion a good ceiling Ah. (laughs) I will purchase this ceiling (laughs) Well just as we were talking about Hogwarts from above I'm now going to talk about Hogwarts from below Underneath the Great Hall Which is of course the kitchen Where they have uh, a lot of the food prepared It's absolutely huge I think it's about the same size as the Great Hall Uh, And they have tables that mirror the ones in the Great Hall Which apparently they just put the food on And then it's magically linked And that's how the food suddenly appears for a feast now, do we remember, before the food appears in the very first book, Dumbledore says the infamous words nitwit, blubber, oddman, and tweak. Yeah. And it's supposed mm-hmm. to be just a humorous, nonsensical few words. Well, not to the Potter fandom, though, because Uh-oh. everything happens for a reason. There's two key <laughs> theories here. Uh, as you may have guessed by now, uh, I'm a bit of a sucker for a Potter theory. But the first one, some believe that it's actually Dumbledore saying the names of the four house elves as a means of summoning oh. up the food, which I quite like. Oh. My favourite one, though, is that he is actually low-key mocking all of the houses. He's using words that represent oh. the opposite of what he each house stands for. So there's okay. slightly different modifications on this theory, but here's one. So he says nitwits because obviously nitwit means an idiot, someone with mm-hmm. less wit, the most offensive thing to a Ravenclaw. Blubber, mm-hmm. representing Gryffindors calling everyone crybabies because they're not brave. <laughs> Oddment, a leftover piece of something, not part of the main substance, which is how Slytherins view non-pure blood families. Uh, and then finally, Tweak, being told you have to change to fit yourself in, which is what often Hufflepuffs are told on a regular basis because they're seen as like the, the dustbin house. Now you may be thinking, Greta, <laughs> this is tenuous at best, but... If you Google it, loads of people have spoken about this theory. There's YouTube videos and everything, so um, look it up. That's oh, that cool. I like that. That's yeah. very cool. I was gonna, yeah. I was gonna say earlier with the um, because I, I love the uh, the way that the kitchen tables, how like it, the food is set on there, then appears above the t- uh, tables above them. I like the idea that maybe that at one one year there might have been a house elf just on the table by accident and it got <laughs> uh, transported <laughs> upwards. Uh. So and not only did the feast appear, but just a random house elf sort of appeared there. Um, Winky, it could happen. Do we also know, guys? That Helga Hufflepuff created a lot of the recipes at the Hogwarts Castle. Oh, that's God great. Lover. God yeah, lover. There you go. Didn't know that before. Yeah. Nick, you may segue away. <laughs> the sorting hat. <laughs> now, the sorting hat you mentioned earlier, of course, Greta. Yes. And uh, is a very integral part of your start of your time at Hogwarts. The famous thing he always says is, Oh, you may not think I'm pretty, but don't judge on what you see. I'll eat myself if you can find a smarter hat than me. So he's a smug little fella, and he always is convinced he's correct. And he determines uh, which house you were in, of course, by being placed 
on your head. Usually this is determined within a few seconds. Sometimes it can take longer. I think Greta is going to talk a little bit more about this. But the hat originally belonged to Godric Gryffindor, sewn a thousand years ago. Gryffindor sword can be pulled from it by a Gryffindor in need. And it talks in little quiet voice using legitimacy. So it's sort of inside the head, because this was another thing when I watched the film that I was like, this makes little sense when Harry and the Hat are like talking quite audibly and everyone yeah. can hear what both of them are saying. So he's like, not yeah. Slytherin. He's like, not Slytherin! <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe that's why like, Snape actually hates him. Yeah. 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 He's, uh, but he's been infused with intelligence and wisdom of all the founders. And the Hat describes its own genesis through a series of songs. In fact, Ron says uh, that it sings a new song every year because, you know, he's like, well, surely being a Hat, you must get bored. Uh, So he assumes it takes all year to make up the next song. They don't hear it every year, though, do they, Harry? Because he's not They don't. No, they don't sing it. But sometimes there are significant years. In fact, in 1995, it hinted that there would be danger ahead. And it concludes that we must unite inside her or we'll crumble from within. I have told you. I have warned you. Let the sorting now begin. (laughs) So, yeah. There is another song. This is the song it sings of the first year, which I will now do a rendition of in a professional and pleasing manner. (laughs) I've done this job for centuries on every student's head. I've sat of thoughts. I take inventories for I'm the sorting hat. That's the most frightening thing I've ever heard. And uh, as I say, he's he's infused with the wisdom of all the founders, which led me to question (laughs) where all of the founders gain such wisdom and knowledge. Um, I have a theory of Ravenclaw, but... uh, The substance of this podcast, Nick, is just an excuse for segues for you. (laughs) Yeah, it is very much. (laughs) So, of course, yes, we do have the four founders of Hogwarts. Now, I believe that we are each going to do a little piece on where we believe each one is from. So, it's interesting, Nick, that you spoke about the Hogwarts song because in one of the songs... Is it the very first one? No. Which one is it? I think it's, yeah, I think it establishes in 1994, that year. It's Goblet of Fire, in it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <sorry>. Goblet of Fire, <laughs> innit? Um, yeah, he does. He speaks a little bit about the founders and where each one are from. So he says that Bold Gryffindor from the Wild Moor, Fair Ravenclaw from Glen, Sweet Hufflepuff from Valley Broad, Shrew Slytherin from Fen. And I believe we are each going to now talk about one of those founders and how they connect to one of those lines and where they are from. So... Alex, why don't you go yeah. first with Helga Hufflepuff? Yes, well, you're very kind uh, to allow me to talk about our founder, uh, Helga. Obviously, there is a clue in that line, uh, sweet, sweet Hufflepuff from Valley Broad, or the sweet Hufflepuff, but I like to think of it as sweet, sweet Hufflepuff. Now, often you can get hints uh, in names where they might be from, so I, I did a bit of digging with that. So Huff, obviously, you know, means to breathe. Puff is a medieval term for pastry, which I thought was quite fitting, actually, because mm. the Hufflepuffs are right next to the kitchen, so they mm. are quite literally breathing in, you know, the smells of pastries and uh, stuff like ah. that. So it kind of works. Like Helga, of course, is more interesting because Helga comes from Northern Europe, but it's it's often used in sort of Germanic sort of speaking countries, isn't it? Like Germany, for instance. So, <laughs> so it's quite interesting. There is definitely an implication that maybe she's from there, but... The biggest clue is within the song uh, Valley Broad, which Valleys is a name used for South Wales Valleys. So she must be Welsh. She must be from Wales. And I'm not the only one who thinks this because it turns out the Wisdom World uh, of Harry Potter, they had actors portray the founders in paintings when you were Mm. in Hogwarts. Yeah. Yeah, And apparently the woman who portrays Helga Hufflepuff is speaking with a Welsh accent. So obviously I don't know this, but this is what I've read. 
which I think is great because I hear a lot in America that people don't even know Wells exists. So it's really great that this Harry Potter theme park in America has actually got an actor to do a Welsh accent. I think that's really great. But mm. be more specific. I was looking around at the South Wales Valleys and where I'd pick. I was really trying to find where there would be a, a high concentration of badgers. I thought that would be quite... <laughs> might <laughs> yes. help with um, narrowing down my choice. But sadly, I couldn't really find them. All I could find is that badgers are a nuisance so presumably they're everywhere in south wales valleys mm. but i decided to go for a place called well so to me with my english eyes it looks like gar valley but the welsh pronunciation is garu valley that's Ooh. how it's supposed to be pronounced in welsh mm. uh, with a welsh accent that's where i would pick partly because it is a fantastic valley it looks amazing there's a massive forest near it you know gonna have a lot of badgers there and yeah it's amongst the south wales valley so that's where i would pick where halga Huffpuff is from Garu Valley. I can, I can believe that. That's great, yeah, Alex. Lots of fun. You did her justice. Yeah. Well, Will, do you also want to then speak about where Godric came from? Well, it's a tricky one, Godric. Um, because, of course, uh, Godric Gryffindor famously was born in Godric's Hollow. And we're probably going to be doing an episode on that. Mm. Yes. So I'm not going to say too much, but I, I will say a little bit. Nobody knows where Godric's Hollow is. Uh, it's known to be in the West Country, but Hilda Bagshot uh, tells us this. However, she doesn't go into any more details. In common with many Harry Potter locations, people have tried to work it out. Uh, they've pointed out that coming from Godric's Hollow to London, Hagrid passes over Bristol, which narrows it down quite a lot. I wonder whether Godric's Hollow might be in Somerset. Very specifically on the Somerset levels. There actually aren't that many moors around the West Country. One of the more famous ones uh, is, is on the Somerset levels. Uh, the most famous bit of it's called Sedgemoor, where the Battle of Sedgemoor was during the Monmouth Rebellion. But the Somerset levels area are rich in very specifically magical, legendary, arcane history and folklore. And of course, on the Somerset levels is the biggest community of real-life uh, Wizards and Witches in the UK, Glastonbury. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> also, home to the world's greatest music festival, Indeed. which won't be happening this year. <laughs> no, no. Bagshot mentions that Godric's Hollow is a place where wizarding folk have uh, been able to gather and assimilate with the Muggle community. It might well be a, a reference to Glastonbury. Um, there is another slight linguistic hint that that might be the case. Uh, one of the most famous people uh, to come from the Somerset levels was Godwin, Earl Godwin, the uh, the father of Harold Godwinson, who was very briefly uh, King of England. Godwin and Godric sound similar. <laughs> that's, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, they, they, they have similar first bits of the names. The name Gryffindor gives us almost nothing as well. Dor is a, a Germanic suffix which fits with the Anglo-Saxon population that would have been mostly in Somerset. It can indicate a stream, a tree, or rather excitingly, a bee. Ooh. <gasps> I wonder if Dumbledore and Gryffindor are related. Hello. Because of the similar suffixes on their names. Yeah. And wouldn't a griffin bee be a terrifying thing? <laughs> <laughs> so it would be part eagle, part l uh, lion. A giant bee. Uh, bee. Give me Griffin more, Will. Oh. <laughs> ah! uh, well, yes, Glastonbury and Somerset in general and Sedgemoor and the Somerset levels are my shout for Gryffindor's origin place. 
Ah, nice. very Makes nice. Sense. Well, Makes Nick, sense. do you have something for Rowena? No. <laughs> thought I wouldn't do it for a laugh. Um, Rowena is uh, of Welsh origin as a name, uh, and it means white spear or famous friend. So that would suggest she's Welsh. However, it also says from Glen. Sounds very Gaelic, very Scottish. There are any number of Glens in Scotland. There's kind of Glenfiddich, Glengoyne, Glenmorangie. Yes, I am just naming whiskies. (laughs) (laughs) You've chosen all the delicious Glens. I enjoyed it. I would think she's actually of Scottish aristocracy and Mm -hmm. might hail from the great... Glen. The Great Glen is the biggest in Scotland. It's this colossal fracture in the earth that splits the highlands in two from Fort William to Inverness. 79 miles is the Great Glen Way. There's actually the Caledonian Canal, which leads into Loch Ness, where there may or may not be a Kelpie. And of course, it's a straight route to Inverness, where we speculated that Hogwarts might be. So the Scottish connection and why Hogwarts Castle is there, I sort of deduced might be because... She is like, oh, my family estate owns some land in this mm. discreet oh. corner of Scotland. So story. I think she's from the Great Glen and is generously endowing the founders with land on which to build. That's my theory. That's a cool idea. Nice. I like it. Oh, fantastic. Well, of course, so we also have to talk about Salazar Slytherin, begrudgingly. So as we all know, Slytherins <laughs> are not the kind of nicest people in Hogwarts. They're kind of the outsiders and uh, they're down in the dungeons where they deserve Evil. to be. Yeah, exactly. Too generally terrible. Yeah. Evil's yeah. the word. Um, yeah. Who dares to invoke the wrath of Steph and besmirch the Slytherin name? She has a voice. How did she get out of the dungeon? To be continued in episode 11, part 2. Ooh.